Before I start this week's Financial Crime Weekly podcast, just the usual word of thanks to Sora Shimazaki, who took the photograph which adorns the cover art. And you can find that photograph at Pexels. Hello and welcome to the Financial Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Kirkbride. Money laundering and sanctions top the bill this week with some regulatory enforcement thrown in for good measure. As ever, the links to the principal stories are in the podcast description. We'll start with sanctions. After a, a bit of a slow week last week, there's been somewhat of an uptick in stories relating to sanctions. I suppose the big news this week comes from the European Union, where the Council unanimously adopted a decision to add the violation of restrictive measures to the list of EU crimes included in the Treaty on the Functioning of the European Union. This follows the presentation of a proposal by the European Commission in May this year. The link to the news of that story is in the podcast description. I'll stick with the Commission for one final story of interest, and that is that the European Commission has proposed the confiscation of Russian assets which have been frozen following the imposition of sanctions by the European Union, such that the assets can then be used by the Ukrainian allies for the rebuilding of Ukraine. The EU estimates that it has in excess of 300 billion euros which have been frozen and which could be made available for use. Leaving the EU now to the UK, where the Solicitors Regulation Authority, which is the body which oversees solicitors in the United Kingdom, or sorry, in England and Wales, has published guidance on how law firms would be in compliance with the United Kingdom sanctions regime, as well as offering general information on sanctions definitions, etc. It also provides useful commentary on the differences between sanctions regimes and the anti-money laundering regimes to which law firms are also subject. While it is guidance which is naturally tailored to legal professionals, it will be of use to anybody in sanctions and those of whom may have a passing interest in it. The link is in the podcast description. Sticking with the UK, the government has imposed further sanctions on individuals linked to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This time, the individuals are those linked to the troop mobilisation which was announced by Putin in September. Not only were reservists called up, but also criminals were released from prison to join the Russian front line. Those individuals sanctioned include Deputy Prime Minister Denis Valentinovich Manturov, who is responsible for overseeing the Russian weapons industry and responsible for equipping mobilised troops, together with 10 regional governors and heads of region including those of Dagestan, Ingushetia and Kamalinka. I'm pretty sure I pronounced the last one incorrectly. Given the release of prisoners to make up the numbers, the list also includes Arkady Gostev, who is the director of the Federal Penitentiary Service of the Russian Federation, and Dmitry Bezkik, the head of the Federal Punishment Service of the Rostov region. The link to the UK government announcement is in the podcast description. Now we turn attention to money laundering. It's been a belter of a week in relation to money laundering quite a bit, actually. So we'll start with the Joint Money Laundering Steering Group, the JMLSG, which has published its final amendments to part one of its guidance. 
The changes follow the outcome of consultation, which was published in September 2022. The link to that is in the podcast description. To Denmark now, where the Danish Financial Supervisory Authority has reported Jisk Bank to police following a suggestion that it could be in breach of Danish money laundering legislation, which, among other things, alleges shortcomings in its customer due diligence. The bank, for its part, has said that it will cooperate with the police investigation. The Council of Europe, Committee on Money Laundering and the Financing of Terrorism, or MoneyVal as it's known, has once more called for internal control requirements to be extended in the Isle of Man. In its fourth follow-up report on the Isle of Man, following a mutual evaluation report that was adopted in 2016, the Isle of Man has been placed on what we what they call an enhanced follow-up procedure as a result of that 2016 report. The link to the report, the follow-up report, is in the podcast description. And finally, a couple of stories from the Financial Action Task Force. First, the FATF, the FATF, has updated its consolidated assessment ratings. Secondly, it has published a report on the money laundering associated with synthetic opioids. The press release provides, In North America, the non-medical use of fentanyl is the main driver behind a record number of overdoses and opioid-related deaths. In parts of Africa, a tramadol epidemic is having a significant impact on public health, while across Asia, many countries report a growing number of cases. The report looks at the way proceeds are laundered from synthetic opioids trafficking. Organised crime groups use a range of methods, including bulk cash smuggling, cash couriers, trade-based money laundering and virtual assets crypto, as well as shell companies and the services of professional launderers. Links both to the updated consolidated assessment ratings and the opioids report are in the podcast description. Actually, there is a last-minute postscript for the Financial Action Task Force, which has announced a new webinar on money laundering through the real estate sector. The webinar will take place on Wednesday the 14th of December between 11am and 12pm UK time, which at the moment is Greenwich Mean Time or GMT. The link for registration is in the podcast description, but please note that it will also be webcast on the FATF's YouTube channel. To Australia now, which is a, I mean, this is a follow-up story of something we covered in episode 29 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, and that is the Australian Transaction Reports and Analysis Centre, or OSTRAC, lodged a case against gambling giant Star Entertainment as part of its money laundering investigation into the Casino Corporation. The allegation is that the business engages with high-risk customers and allows the use of back channels in breach of federal anti-money laundering laws. In episode 29 of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast, we covered how the casino had has it, had its licence suspended, together with the imposition of a record fine of 100 million Australian dollars for what were noted as less than convincing AML practices, and, extraordinarily, that it attempted to cover its tracks when problems were identified. There has been a consistent theme of 
casinos being under the spotlight from regulatory organisations for their activities in possibly not doing quite as much as they ought to do in relation to money laundering. And this is just a continuation of that theme. And finally, on money laundering this week, the United Kingdom's Financial Intelligence Unit has published its SARS, SARS of course are suspicious activity reports, so it's published its SARS reporter booklet with its usual range of case studies and updated glossary of codes for those involved in making SARS. It's a worthwhile read and to that end the link can of course be found in the podcast description. Away from money laundering now to a bit of regulatory enforcement. Busy week, a busy week this week, if I could say the word week. A busy week this week for the UK Conduct Regulator, the Financial Conduct Authority, which had issues, which has issued a final notice against Carlo Palombo on the basis that he does not satisfy the fit and proper person criterion required of financial services professionals. This follows a conviction on the 26th of March 2019 for conspiracy to defraud relating to Eurobor submissions made at Barclays under his supervision for which he was sentenced to four years of imprisonment. The final notice provides that his conviction demonstrates a clear and serious lack of honesty and integrity such that he is not fit and proper to perform functions in relation to regulated activities. The link to the decision notice is in the podcast description. The other regulatory enforcement action this week announced by the Financial Conduct Authority is that it's announced fines of just over £18 million against Julius Baer, International Limited JBI, which is an investment advisory and wealth management firm for, quotes, failing to conduct its business with integrity and failing to take reasonable care to organise and control its affairs and failing to be open and cooperative with the Financial Conduct Authority. As collateral to this decision, banning orders were also made against Gustavo Reitzin, the former regional head for Bank Julius Baer, Thomas Seiler, who is the former BJB sub-regional market head for Russia and Eastern Europe and JBI non-executive director, and Louise Whitestone, who is the former relationship manager on JBI's Russian and Eastern European desk. They have referred their cases to the Upper Tribunal Financial Services. As you'll know, we've mentioned this before, the tribunal conducts a de novo review of the matter and may even reach a decision which is contrary to that which has been reached by the Financial Conduct Authority. The link to that description, sorry, description, the link to that decision is also in the podcast description. And finally this week, it's been a bit of a quiet week, which is good. A confiscation story. It's a big one. It slipped out at the end of last week. But I thought I'd wait for the case report to come out. But the case report still hasn't been published. So I thought I'd better get on with it and cover it. The news is that the National Crime Agency has announced the outcome of a successful civil recovery order against Barclays Bank concerning £50 million of criminal funds. The funds held in segregated accounts were handed over to the National Crime Agency by the bank following action which, uniquely, did not name the account holders in the action in the court. The press release provides a quote from Adrian Searle, who is the director of the National Economic Crime Centre, the NECC, at the National Crime Agency. He said, 
Identifying and recovering funds and assets linked to criminal activity is a priority for the National Crime Agency. This High Court ruling is a great example of how the public and private sector can work together to recover proceeds of crime. The proactive identification of these funds by Barclays was the reason we could take this action. The money will be credited to the public purse and a portion used to fund a range of work including programmes designed to prevent fraud and protect potential victims. This theme of public-private partnership is one which we've looked at previously on the Financial Crime Weekly podcast as being a significant strand of policymakers from across the globe. The funds recovered in this case were taken by the state and it seems that the plan is to use them in a meaningful, useful way to prevent fraud and that can only be applauded. Of course, it needs people to listen and take note of what is being said. Anyway, the link to that story is in the podcast description. That's it for this week's mercifully short episode of the Financial Crime Weekly podcast. If you want to do so, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and you'll hear from me again. All being well, next Sunday with the usual roundup of all things financial crime. Have a great week, everyone.